You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. In Peter chapter 3 today, let's begin in verse 3. And we'll read down through verse 14. Before we do that, just a couple things of note. Number one, uh, you may have noticed that we are sponsored by Amazon today, our service. <laughs> you, you've mentioned that to me. And uh, it's an unofficial partnership, but uh, we're hoping after the live stream today that we'll secure rights and uh, privileges that go with that. Uh, but I encourage you next Sunday to be here for the service at 1030. And uh, the theme of that morning, we just called our Smile More service. So we have our fair booth with that same theme from Saturday, yesterday through this coming Thursday, inviting people to relationship with Christ, uh, as well as to come uh, to the service this next Sunday at 1030. If you would join us in partnering in that, um, those that we invite who are random strangers or people we're meeting for the first time at the fair, the odds of them coming is lower than the people you know personally that you can invite. Not that we don't want to invite those folks, and we hope that uh, they'll join us. So take advantage of that, and especially those you know who are seeking the Lord or seeking to find joy and peace, as we just mentioned, that's found only in Jesus. So that'll be next Sunday at 1030. encourage you to be here, bring a guest with you, and pray for God to bless that service and that we would see folks respond to the gospel. And then the second thing this morning, if the guys would pull up the first slide there, in two weeks is our anniversary offering. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about our Amen Project and I wanted to ask you to pray about, you'll see if you look at the back of the bulletin where our balance is as of this last week, and we're looking to see a sizable offering in two weeks. You can start giving, some have already started giving to that, but that is to help us redo this space that we're sitting in right now, as well as to work on a few other connecting spaces, our offices, and another hallway to the lobby. You may have noticed that we have some sticking points with our flow uh, of traffic. Last Sunday, we had almost 180 people in the building. I haven't seen the attendance for today, but God is growing our church, and we're trying to do our best to steward that well, and probably going to have to order a few more chairs, and then who knows what we'll do from there, but we're grateful for what God's doing. So if you would partner with me, our family is praying about that, giving. Between now and the 25th, we have some other special things as it relates to our anniversary weekend. We have the Clark family with us doing a concert on Saturday night. Uh, and then the service in the morning. But if you pray with us and to do your best to give uh, as the Lord has blessed. And for some of us, that's a little more objectively than others, but equal sacrifice. That's what we're asking and for 100% uh, participation. So thank you for your partnership in that. All right, let's look now, if you would, our text today, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Peter here says this, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. All right, that's their narrative. For this, Peter says, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the worlds that then was, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heaven and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day uh, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord, verse 9, is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, here's now the application of these verses, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I love that verse. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And so we've been looking at burning questions, answering some of culture's most debated uh, topics and conversations. I want to continue today by looking at what about environmentalism and some great truths in our text today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privileges to be here today. Pray for those staffing our fair booth this morning with the dampness, and I pray that you would give them fruit and favor and connection as they help in that agenda this morning. I pray as we gather in this room, as well as our young people and those ministering to them, that Lord, you would do a work in this day and this morning that would transcend the immediate context in which we live and would be shaped and defined and directed largely by that which is to come. Thank you for the reminders in this text today that will challenge us and encourage us, uh, Lord, to live in light of eternity in the present tense. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. One of the things I'm concerned about in our culture today, especially our Western culture, is how uh, comfortable we are, how in touch we are with our feelings and our emotions and our safety and security, and we're not realizing how soft we've become. Um, a friend of mine, kind of tongue-in-cheek, said this the other day, and I, it resonated as soon as I read it. But he was talking about, I don't know if you remember, especially in the heart of the last couple of years, you would go to a store or you'd have some public address by an official and they would end with, be safe, you know, stay safe. And I don't know if you've caught this, people are still saying that, okay? Now, a few years removed from at least the heart of all of that, not saying there aren't still some challenges that we're facing. And my friend said this, every time someone at a store or some setting says, be safe, he wants to say, be brave, you know, just come on, let's be tougher, you know, trying to just pep talk. And it just makes my, I have to be honest with you, it kind of makes me cringe. Okay, thank you. I was thinking about being really reckless today, okay, or really risky. Be safe. Thank you for letting me know I should do that. Can I just tell you, it relates to our climate and our culture, not just the ozone uh, layer and other things related to it that we'll talk about today, but even just the environment of our hearts and our beings often is more reactionary than it is moving in an intentional direction. Uh, and so we want to talk about today how we can view environmentalism in a way that focuses not just on the present physical world, there are, th there are considerations that we need to evaluate, but to focus upon that which is more important, that which is enduring, uh, which is the day of the Lord shortly to come. And I would just remind us today that the present climate and environment, physically, emotionally, mentally, that we're operating in, is a means, not the end. And here's what I see a lot, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit today, as God's been picking on me all week on this. We have become so comfortable and so aware of our immediate surroundings. Listen to me, we've lost the context in which the immediate 
needs to be shaped by. This present world is not the end. Aren't you grateful for that in one sense? That's an comforting thought. But I may also lovingly say to you, it's also really convicting. It's also really challenging. And so I hope today God will use his truth to steady you where you're fearful, but also convict you where possibly apathy and short-sighted temporal priorities have consumed your focus. One commentator uh, entitled this chapter, Christ's Second Coming, an Imperative to Spiritual Conquest. The emphasis on the spiritual. And you see clearly Peter is trying to call us to that in the midst of all that physically uh, is going on around us. So the question today is this, in a day of breathless panic about the earth's environment, how do we get above it all and see these trends, even some that are concerning, in our fallen, broken world through the lens of God's perspective? So let's talk about today two careful considerations we must have to navigate our environment and those that have different positions on it. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about finding answers by processing the data that's before us, the observations that we have and others have accurately uh, through uh, God's lens and perspective. And I just say to you as we begin today that I think one of our biggest issues in our current day is we know too much. We know too much about too many people in too many places, and a lot of it obviously in a broken world is very negative and daunting, and we are finite beings. And not only are we finite in what we're able to process, we're also finite in our understanding. And so we have all of this data, all of these data points flooding us from all these different directions that sometimes are too much for our own good. And so I love that, that God gives us perspective outside of that, because here's what I found. Have you? Not only does the world want to give me data, they want to tell me how to think about it, how to feel about it, and how to react to it. And God alone has that right in our lives to give us the data to tell us how to think about it, how to feel about it, and how to respond to it. And so we need God to help us process these data points accurately. We're not discounting the data. We just need to make sure we're processing it in a way that is accurate and that is defined and directed by God. All right, so let's talk about a couple things in this area of data. And your outline is there in the bulletin if you want to follow along. Let's talk first about data from the past. Can we talk about some things Peter refers to here that we have to establish? If we're going to reach the right conclusion and conclusions, we need to make sure we have the data right about the past. Um, I don't know if you realize it or not, but today is September the 11th. We are 21 years removed from September 11th, 2001. Um, and as I look around, there, there's, well, there's probably 20 to 25 in the room that aren't 21 years of age yet. They, they don't remember that, all right? Maybe more than that. There's probably half of us in the building entirety that were not here when that went down. History happens, and as the years go by, we tend to forget. For example, as it relates to September 11th, those who sacrificed so much uh, on that day and the hurt that's still there processing again this morning on this 21st anniversary of that day. You know, as history goes by, if we're not careful, we begin to lose the grasp of the specifics of those events, and not just the events, but the implications for us in the present tense. And so Peter here quickly, he goes through. Let's go back to the beginning of our reading today, and notice how he begins to lay the foundation of this processing of data by starting with, let's make sure we get the past right as it relates to our relationship with God and this planet. Verse 3, you notice he talks about the last days. 
Um, he's saying, in essence, Paul also used this term. This is not the days of God just throwing out a bunch of promises. We are close to him fulfilling those promises. That's kind of the, the feel of both Paul and Peter's epistles and using that terminology. And he calls the false teachers those who scoff that, that God is going to do what he has promised. Verse 4, and what is their narrative, this false narrative that they're touting? Verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so you see these scoffers reject the promise of Christ's return, one that's over and over repeated in the New Testament with a term, I don't know if you remember this from a few weeks ago, with the mindset of uniformitarianism. The idea that things have always moved at a certain pace. The Grand Canyon took so long because look at its current erosion rates. And all of these kind of reference points. And so they're using this uniform view of the universe and the cosmos as being the benchmark of what's going to happen in the future. Verse 5, Peter confronts them. For this they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water. What's that a reference to? Creation. Things have not always been as they are today, starting with it all came from nothing, right? Creation was a bit of a change from what was uniformly true uh, of this planet and of our existence. Notice verse 6, he goes on, he references another event, whereby the world that then was being overflow with water perished. What's that a reference to? The universal flood, right? So creation and the flood that would push back against the narrative that things always continue as they always have. And as it relates to environmentalism, secularists, some even well-intended, wrongly assume that the earth is billions of years old, and specifically that the last 10,000 years of our planet have been very uniformed. In a moment, I'll show you a graphic that would push back against that narrative, but their thinking is this. So we've had 10,000 years of uniformity. In the last 100 years or so, we've seen some changes or spikes in our climate well, who's to blame for that? Well, man now is industrialized and all of our, our technology and, and the things that are a part of that. And so we must blame man for the current trends in our day. And it may submit to you today that maybe is a bit broad in its application and in its assumptions, as we'll look at in just a moment. So here would be kind of the thought as it relates to these first few verses. The zealous environmentalists, and if you value recycling and being environmentally responsible, we're not saying that's not a part of our stewardship of the planet, but to desperately try to maintain the status quo of this planet is a losing proposition, right? God's at the helm, it's going to shift and change, and it has, and it will continue to do so. Uh, we need to let God help us as we process the past in a way that honors him. And we don't have time to read them, but if you look at verses 1 and 2, Peter, before he gets to verse 3 that we read, he starts with the prophets and the apostles. So the word of God alone is what helps us process the data about the past properly. One author said this, if you want to be a wise person, you need a Bible. And whether it's in this area or another, to be wise as it relates to the data, you need this book. I need this book no matter what the experts tout and claim. All right, go to verse 7 now. And let's talk about a second categorical uh, processing of data that we need to be careful in. Verse 7, but the heaven and earth which are now, all right? So he shifts from the past. He's now in the present tense. But the heavens and the earth which are now, 
by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Number two, we need to find answers by processing not only data from the past, but data from the present. Data from the present. All of us in the room, and those maybe, excuse me, watching online today, tend toward one extreme or the other as it relates to environmentalism. Um, and, and I think we need to be careful in that uh, to not move in a direction outside of how God leads us in the present tense. For those of us who maybe are a bit cynical about environmental um, initiatives, those who emphasize taking care of the planet and maybe sometimes to even extreme, I was listening the other day to uh, a scientist who was talking and I, I verified as best I could the data. He was talking about microplastics. You know, we, we deal with cancers everywhere, isn't it? It's amazing how many, the, the age, the lower the ages seem to be as folks uh, navigate those health challenges, not connecting at all to this, but he was talking about the fact that in a given month, the average American ingests a credit card worth of microplastics, comes off our containers, comes off the thing, and some of you now, you're going to, sorry, ruin your lunch if it comes out of a jug, okay? Um, <laughs> But it, there are some things we need to be honest about, right? So there's, there's those of us who maybe, ah, you know, we just want to just discard anything that, that even warns us of maybe some of the things that are part of our postmodern culture. And then there are others of you that get a little too zealous on this front, okay? And I'm not messing with you, not too much anyway, but here's a picture for you, okay? This is, if you have a Tesla, I'm not trying to offend you today, but do you notice what's on the back there? Isn't that isn't that crazy in one sense? Generator with tanks of gas, okay? Um, so, so we're navigating both sides of this. And all I'm saying to you is this. As we process the present tense, uh, we have to be careful not to allow God's truth to be crowded out through the voices that surround us on a regular basis. All right, so let's talk about that quickly. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, notice, by the same word, are kept in store. That's a key phrase. Kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so we see here in verse 7 that God created the earth, and when he created it, he seeded it with enough water to drown it, right? He also, in like fashion, has seeded or planted within nature itself the ability to consume the whole planet in fire. Um, imagine reading this in the first century and not having the data that we now have. We know of nuclear right? Atomic, that matter itself possesses energy um, that can be unleashed and can actually destroy itself. And so God has embedded into very nature uh, the ability for it to be destroyed. And so there's this, ex this explosive potential in our planet. And yet this morning, God holds that all together, right? Uh, and so we can rest in that and rely upon that until the right moment, God will keep that in check. One of the things that I remember years ago as I processed this as a college student, where, where am I going to land as it relates to environmentalism? One of the things I was struck by was this, is sometimes our view of that is a bit egotistical. Do you really think that my footprint, whether it's carbon or otherwise, can undercut the God who we just sang about is on his throne, ruling and reigning over his planet? I think sometimes our, our view of this, we put too much pressure upon ourselves or on our neighbor uh, instead of realizing that God is the one who holds this together. One pastor I was listening to the other day said this, the grace of God is our only hope 
The wrath of God is our greatest threat. That's our greatest threat, is the wrath of God. It's not we self-destructing. It's God doing what he's about to promise us he will do one day in dealing with our sinful fallen world. Uh, And so we need to rest in that and process present data through that filter. All right, go to verse 8. But beloved, or I speaking now to believers, be not ignorant of this one thing. The one day, and we often reference this verse, I've heard many quote it, I have as well. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Peter now in verse 8 and 9 is going to tell us two reasons why he is holding off the, the, the melting, the, the burning, the destroying of this planet, God gives two motivations here through his apostle Peter of why he's taking so long. Um, some of us in the room, we'd love to see human history continue forever. We have kids, we have grandkids, we want the next generation to have the planet we were gifted with. Others of us are, are kind of eager to see this all just be resolved. Um, And all of that is in God's hands, that timing. But why is God waiting so long to come back? And as he's waiting, others begin to question and scoff. Maybe God's not going to deliver on what he has promised. In verse 8, Peter gives the first reason, which is this, that God counts time differently than man. I love that. It's a great summary of verse number 8. God counts time differently than we do. Um, People tend to see time against time. So we compare today how long it feels to how long yesterday felt. And if you're like me, it feels like it's picking up pace as it goes. Um, God stacks up time when evaluating time against what? Eternity. His view, brethren, this morning and guest and regular today, God's view of time is not the same as ours. In fact, just as a point of reference, how long have we been in the church age? From God's perspective. Two days. That's unbelievable to me. Thousands of years of church history. We're now into thousand year number three we're working into. And to God it's just a couple of days. So maybe we'd be very careful in how we evaluate trends and data. uh, If we're not looking at through the lens of God's perspective. All right, verse 9. A second reason is given why God's taking his time often it feels like from our perspective. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, all right, he's going to deliver. But his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the first reason God's taking his time is because he counts time differently than man. Number two, the Lord's return seems long because God wants everyone who can be saved to be saved. And so this teaches the heart of God, his motivation for why he's moving at his current pace. Now, is this teaching universal salvation? No, it's showing the desire of God, his, his will as in his wishes, his desire. He longs that all would be saved. And so what that does for me when I read verse 9, verse 8, it slows me down a bit because I get a bit impatient. God, would you deal with these people or would you fix these problems and, and whatever the thing may be that I'm waiting upon him for? But number two reminds us that God always has a redemptive reason for why he's doing what he's doing when he's doing it. Um, We'll come back to this in a minute. But why do you have concerns about the environment? Why do you have concerns about our world? And why do you wish things would be different? Can I lovingly say today, often our why, our reason is not as evangelistic as God's is. 
God views people through the lens of souls, they're lost or they're saved, and everything he's doing is to reveal his glory and his grace. That's what he's consumed with this morning. Not the trend of the trees and the planet and all the superficial, though important things of our world. He looks at souls. And so we must also have that same perspective as we evaluate this topic this morning. All right, verse 10. He says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And so lastly, in this section, in verse 10, notice that no matter what the scoffers say, I love this, Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come. Man can say what he wants, the scoffers can mock, and it may take a little while from our perspective, but the day of the Lord will come. It will come as a thief. But what's meant by that? I remember a movie growing up, The Thief in the Night. Some of you, that dates a few of us in the room. What's meant by that, The Thief in the Night? It has the idea of it's unexpected and it's destructive. it's something that uh, is jarring. It's something that has some some consequences to it. It's not a blip on the radar. Next, he says, the heavens will pass away. Uh, What is meant by that? The heavens um, could refer to our atmosphere. That would be the first heaven, um, as the scriptures would use it. The second heaven would be outer space. Possibly the heavens refers to both of those. We know it can't be the third heaven, Because God is forever right on his throne. That's where God lives. But the heavens uh, will pass away. Um, And so we see God promising this and revealing this to us ahead of time. And then you notice at the very end of verse number 10, he says, shall pass away with a great noise. Can you imagine that? The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The elements themselves will be dissolved with a fervent heat. And I, I've had this thought before. I don't think I ever dug into this before. But I, you remember memorizing the uh, table of elements for chemistry class? Any of you, does that bring back some traumatic memories for you in high school? Can any of you stand and quote all of them and sketch it out for us this morning? Yeah, right. Um, some of you are like, what was high school? What was that again? Right? Your memory's a little fuzzy on that. Um, so I, I tried to find what, what temperature... Does the world have to reach? This is just how I think. Maybe your brain doesn't go there. What temperature does the world have to reach to melt the very elements, specifically the top end, the most resistant to heat elements? Best that I could dig up on tungsten is one of the most undestructible elements on our planet. It's a metal. In fact, I've had now and then a saw blade or a drill bit that's had, it's been tungsten and carbide, an alloy that hardens that metal. The best that I could read, tungsten, uh, its melting point is 6,177 degrees Fahrenheit. This is, not, this is not just a little bit of a setback for the planet. Everything literally will be melted. That, to me, that's climate change, okay? That, that's climate change, right? Uh, and so we need to be open about and honest about where this is going and be willing to trust God to do it in His time uh, and in his way. Now, one little phrase jumped out at me. I, had, I don't know if I've noticed this before. So the, melt, the, the elements melt, the earth also, that's composed of those elements. And then notice this, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So someday, not only will the natural creation be consumed, but also, listen to me, all of man's civilization. Our greatest scientific advancements 
our, our greatest cultural developments, our greatest edifices, the, the wonders of our present world and days gone by, all of it will be consumed. Listen to me, including our best attempts to save the planet. <laughs> all of that will be burned up as God's presence is revealed uh, in his return. And so at least let that shape your view of this present topic of environmentalism. All right, let me show you a graph. And I don't have time. If you want this later, I can get it to you. Um, this is, or originates from Answers in Genesis. But this gives you kind of a, a history of the warming and cooling of our planet back to the time of Christ. You can see kind of those little logos at the bottom there. Can you see those? So you'd have like the cross, and then there's some other uh, things that happen in human history let you parallel. But you're going from beginning of A.D. dating all the way up through 2000. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, the thinking of the secularists is that the last 10,000 years of our planet, minus the last maybe 100 or so, have been very constant. And as they see these, these incremental, well, man, if we give that another 10 years or 20 years, here's where we're going to be. And because of all that man is doing, we're going to ruin our planet. And yet you'll notice here that below the bar would be some ice ages, if you will, or when it cooled a bit and then you have some warming periods. Um, and so the biblical model, we believe the earth is only 6,000 years or so old based on scripture and the, the chronological evidence in the early chapters of Genesis but you see here that it, there was in the medieval period a warming period that actually was warmer than the temperatures we're at today. That would be A.D. 800 to 1200. And then there was a little ice age in A.D. 1400 to 1880 where the temperature was actually lower than when present-day environmentalists say was our optimal temperature. And so it has always been up and down. Now, this is what helps me process this, and I hope it will you as well, as you're maybe on one side or the other side of this issue. Many times the appeal is made that our CO2, all right, what we're giving off as human beings is what's contributing to the spike in temperature, the thinning of the ozone layer, etc. But it ignores two facts that I find push back against that. Number one, CO2 is not bad for us, right? Plants live on CO2. God has created this rhythmic relationship between us uh, and plants. They give off what we need. We give off what they need. And so CO2 alone is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it, it's a good thing. Water vapor, listen, is responsible for 80 to 90% uh, of the greenhouse effect that our planet is experiencing. And then listen to this. Less than 1% of the greenhouse effect, if you understand that terminology, is, is directly connected to we as human beings. Less than 1%. not saying it's not a factor, but let's be careful not to lay at our own feet uh, what ultimately is at the feet of God. And so we should calm down. We should trust God and steward well our little corner of the planet that we are responsible for. But ultimately, we trust in God. We rest in God. There's something bigger going on. The perspective we need to process our current environment is the perspective God gives us in his word, right? I'm not saying other factors shouldn't be considered, but if we leave this book and let others tell us how to feel and think about what's happening on this planet, we will reach a faulty conclusion. All right, I want to give you a couple of verses and then we'll move to our second point. Go to Genesis, if you will, for a moment. And I want to build for you, if you can visualize this in your mind, a three-legged stool that you can sit you can sit upon easily in this current world with all that's going on. And you can process the data about the past and present in a way that pleases the Lord. Go to Genesis 1 and verse 26, all right? These are 
foundational data points that we as Bible-believing Christians, Christ followers, should align with. Verse 26, Genesis 1, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have, notice this next word, dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cat, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So we should make no apology that we are human beings and we have been given dominion. That has both an authoritative sense, it also has a responsibility sense. Go to chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden, notice this last phrase, to dress it and to keep it. And the idea of dressing has the idea of cultivating. So we have a responsibility to have dominion. We also have a responsibility to take care of this planet, right? Those verses are both in there. Now, with all that being said, go to chapter 8 of Genesis. This is one of my favorite verses after the flood that kind of tempers that because I'm not always in control of my part of the world. It feels like I'm not always in dominion. And sometimes I didn't take care of it as well as I should. Is that you at times? Um, And so God gives us this promise right after the flood that Peter alluded to, we read a moment ago. Look at verse 22 of Genesis chapter 8. Genesis 8, verse 22. So Noah comes off the ark. God gives him some promises and some reminders. Noah builds an altar. Notice what God says. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night. I love these last three words. Shall not cease. You know what the secularist believes? That climate change is going to end this planet. It's going to end it. And I'm just telling you, the Bible says otherwise. Climate change will not terminate this planet. Because this planet is God's planet. That he loves and cares and will one day reconcile to himself in all things. Don't believe the narrative of even sincere folks that's contrary to what God has revealed to us. So find answers by assessing the data accurately. All right, number two, go back to our text in first, or Second Peter, and let's look now, if you will, at verse number 12. Verse number 12. So first of all, we find answers by processing data accurately. Number two, we find answers by assigning responsibility properly. We find answers by assigning responsibility for our planet properly. So it's not enough that we just look at the data. What do we do then once we understand the situation? Am I now responsible to take care of this planet? Is it ultimately my job and where it's wrong? Am I to blame for all of that? If we don't let God assign responsibility, the world will tell us who's responsible. Uh, And so we need to let God be the one that directs us in that. Before we read verse 12, I was reading an article the other day. I love this. The author said this. Remember when we were naive? So he's talking about Days gone by in human history. Remember the day when our species would experience natural disasters, whether flood or famine, and attribute them to supernatural causes. Our forebears from Africa to India and Athens and to Rome all understood such calamities as sent from the gods. Come hell or high water, we knew whom to blame. And then listen to this. But we've evolved. Modern science has effectively squeezed the juice out of all those fanciful interpretations and enlightened us in the way things really are. We now know what causes destruction. Wildfires, hurricanes, landslides, melting ice caps, eroding ozone all have a shared source. We know where to place blame. It sits squarely at our feet. And so those that precede us weren't as dumb as we tend to think they were. 
They actually thought God was responsible. They thought someone and something outside of themselves was largely the source of the problems and brokenness uh, in their world. And so we need to return to that, not abandoning science, but making sure that we ultimately are looking to the Lord. All right, look at verse 12. Come back to verse 11 in a moment. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Let's talk about a couple things as it relates to uh, this responsibility. Number one, we need to assign divine responsibility. The first word there is divine. Divine responsibility. Heidi and I just had this happen the other night. Have you ever had your child, uh, for those of you who have kids or grandkids in the house, at least now and then, ask you how long to heat something up in the microwave, like a leftover? Um, and we, she'll, say, she'll throw out a number, and I was thinking something like three minutes different, and I just shut my mouth, or she will correct me if I say too long, where it's going to like be an explosion, you know, <laughs> whatever needs 30 seconds, that I'm like, eh, three minutes, you know. Anyway, someone said this, any parent who would admit there's a fair amount of bluffing and making it up as you go, all right? We all do that in different areas. But nowhere is this more true than when your child asks how long to microwave something, okay? That's where we're winging it the most. Aren't you thankful that our God is not that way? Listen, listen to me. There is nothing that has gone on, is going on, or still is going to go down that he doesn't already know about it. Doesn't throw him, doesn't jeopardize what his plan A was. There's only one plan, folks. And it's all orchestrating to redeem us, to restore us, and ultimately to glorify God. He is in control. And so he is the one who ultimately is responsible for what's going on. Amen. And one of the things I've noticed with the green movement, and I like the color green. In fact, it's probably my favorite color. But the green movement often almost becomes a religion, doesn't it? Um, and if that's you today, I'm not picking on you, just saying God alone is the rightful one who should be in that position in your life. His creation matters, but only because he's the one who made it. Um, and so we don't worship the creation over the creator. We, we got to keep God in his proper place. Let him be responsible ultimately for our climate. All right, at the end of verse 12, you notice he says, uh, hastening unto, we'll come back to the first part, the coming of the day of God. Number one, jot this down, let God take the blame. Now, I'll qualify that in a second, but let God take the blame for what's happening in our planet and on our planet in this present moment. Let God be the one who is to blame. And you will notice that back in verse 10, he refers to the judgment as the day of the Lord, right? But then you will notice in verse 12, carefully, Peter changes from the day of the Lord to the day of God, the day of God. And the best that I could dig into this, both the words there and the context of it, the day of the Lord is the process of reconciling and restoring all things. The day of God is what comes after that. That's the good part of the story. So the day of the Lord leads to the day of God. We're, we're hastening toward that. And so God is the one responsible for everything that must happen before that moment. So here's the thought today. God, who is always good, right? He's always good. He always does what's right. He always says what's true. What he's allowing on this planet will end in a good way, including the, the labor pains, as Paul describes it, as Jesus refers to it. All of this is under his control. He is the one who is responsible. 
Another article I was reading, someone said this, according to the Christian witness, the best news is that God is willing to take the blame for all of our problems. Yes, the Bible is honest about human failure. It even provides an ancient account for disease, disaster, and death that originates with human choice. But the Christian gospel, our good story, is that the God who created all things good and who gives us all the good that we enjoy became a human to absorb the storm and the sickness that human sin first created. The cross of Jesus is the divine act when God raised his hands to take the blame for human failure. Isn't that a freeing statement today? God says, I'll take the blame. And all the things our planet currently is going through, God is willing to assume responsibility. All right, verse 13. Verse 13, nevertheless, excuse me, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Number two, jot this down. Let God give, not only take the blame, number two, let God give the warning. God promises of the judgment. He promises of that which is to come on the other side. He is warning us of what is to come. And so the old system, the old cosmos will give way to a new heaven and a new earth. We should be looking forward to that and letting go of that which is here in the current and present tense. Um, much, I think, of the pace at which God is moving right now is to give us time as God's people. Listen to this. This is so helpful to me. God is moving at the pace he's moving right now to help his people be prepared for what is coming. And here's what we tend to do. We start slumbering and sleeping and kind of dozing off where we should be alert more so today than we were yesterday. God is using this period to help his people be prepared. Even the idea of like labor, I referenced that a moment ago, you ladies who have given birth to children, um, the first pang is not the end is here, as maybe you're feeling, or the beginning is here. There's kind of some preview, right? There's some warnings that come typically with the birth of a child. You know, everything going on right now, God's trying to get our attention and keep our attention with what he's doing. Um, I was reading a man who said this, he said, um, God bears responsibility not only in the calamity, but also he was talking about the, the, the effects of that sin. He says, they are divinely inspired visual aids to help us see the ultimate reality. They're flashing lights designed to save us from the greater catastrophe. Catastrophe. Jesus calls war, disease, and natural disaster labor pains. As such, they are actually a kindness of God. I love this analogy. They're like a, contra a contraction that tells you to pack your bags and run to the hospital. They're like a fever spike and a loss of taste that sends you to the ER. They're like advanced warning systems that tell you to seek higher ground and avoid the tsunami to come. So the things going on right now in our world, listen to me, are to help us be ready for the end. Not to try to prevent it or fret about it. For us to be ready. Why are we not ready? Where's our poise this morning? The world is, is crumbling around us and all of its props and attempts to fix its own problems. And we lack that poise that God's trying to produce and sustain uh, in his people. And so it's not just the negative consequences of, neg of climate change. It's leading somewhere positive. May we be prepared for it as God brings it uh, before us. And I was just thinking this as I was reading 2 Peter chapter 3. Does God owe us 2 Peter 3? Does he have to tell us about what is to come? But aren't you grateful he does? 
He gives us the reference we need. He says, I'm taking responsibility. Rest in that. Rely in that. And do your part until I come for you. Um, I may have shared this illustration once before, but I heard a pastor say several years ago, he was talking about little Zacchaeus, the wee little man, you know, that we sing about um, as kids. And he said this, <laughs> this is profound. Long before Zacchaeus needed to see Jesus, God planted a tree. Isn't that a powerful thought? Years before Zacchaeus needed to see Jesus, somehow God orchestrated in his sovereignty, as we talked about on our morning of Sunday just a few weeks ago, he planted that tree to be ready for that moment. And I'm telling you, there's coming a day in the most perfect environment, the most ideal setting you can even imagine. It transcends that. We're going to look back on this moment and see God planted some trees to prepare us for that moment when it all comes together. By the way, he planted someone on a tree, didn't he? To give for us everything we need to have personal, abiding, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he is more than able. Let him take responsibility. All right. Now, lastly, lest you get nervous that we just check out from our planet, go back to verse 11. And Peter's going to give us a couple things that we need to do. So number two, let's talk for a minute about human responsibility. So we talked about God's divine responsibility. Now let's talk for a moment about our personal, as human beings, our responsibility. Um, before we read verse 11, um, we were just in the UK this, uh, earlier this summer, and most of you probably track with the fact that Queen Elizabeth passed away. And um, it was interesting to talk with people who were, they would call themselves royals, like they're into the royals, they support the royals, and, and our heart does go out to the British Empire and uh, lost 70 years on the throne. That's just unbelievable. And somebody kind of, maybe, the, I hope this isn't irreverent to share, but he was talking about things that happened during the Queen's reign. Um, six popes, 14 U.S. presidents. Think about this. This is the scope of her, her influence. 15 prime ministers. The first one was Winston Churchill. All right, that tells you how far back we're going. And then here was the tongue-in-cheek one. So all those things. Uh, so six popes, 14 U.S. presidents, 15 prime ministers, 59 different starting quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> And, and over 70 years, I, I have to be honest with you, I think it might be higher than 59, okay? And I think they're playing again this, the, today for the first time this season. Don't you think at some point, maybe we ought to take responsibility? We're not victims as Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns fans. Those of you not Browns fans, like, what is wrong with you people, okay? But at some point, we have to take responsibility, right? Do you know that some of what's going on on our planet is our fault? And what's going on in our little neck of the woods that some of the corruption and the contamination that needs to be addressed is at our feet. And so we need to own our own personal responsibility. And I would give you two of them as we finish today. First, you notice, as we just talked about in verse 11, let's read again. Seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all, here's the word, holy conversation and godliness human responsibility. Verse 12, we'll come back to that in just a moment, looking for and hastening, hasting unto the coming of the day of God. All right, let's talk about two things as far as how we can be responsible with our climate and with our environment. Number one, own where you can, where you can advance God's plan. So in verse 12, he says, looking for and hasting unto so our responsibility is to be a part of advancing, partnering with God in the plan that he has, uh, he has worked out as it relates to this planet. 
Um, so the knowledge of the future God has promised us doesn't just get us excited about the future. It challenges us to do something in the present tense to promote it, to run toward it instead of to avoid it. How do we do that? How do we hasten unto the day of God? I know it's coming. How do I literally run toward it? How do I promote it? How do I advance it uh, in my life? I think it involves our spiritual disciplines. I think it involves faithfulness to God's word, to read it, to pray, to, to be witnessing to those around us, to be the salt and light that God has called us to be as his people. Uh, in Luke 19 and verse 13, remember that phrase where the master says the parable of the kingdom, occupy until I come. There's the idea of being about the master's business, not just filling a pew, not just filling a void, but being about the business, being active, be engaged in what God has called us uh, to do and to be. And here's what I love about verse 12. The world dreads the future. Oh, bring up death in polite conversation, that we're all going to die. Oh, thank you for that. Just killed the party. Just killed the mood. You know, we as Christians, we just sang about death, didn't we? Like our view of the future is different. Even some of the dire and difficult aspects of that transition, the world runs away from the future. Listen to me. We as God's people, we run toward it. What we talk, how do you talk about the future? Is it down and fearful and, and your kids and grandkids pick up that? Or is it, you know what? This is going to end well. Might be a little tough between now and then, but it's going to end well. Where's that tone in our ranks that previous generations had. We need a, a recouping of that spirit, hastening unto the day of God. Now, we don't enjoy the transition of the day of the Lord, but the day of God, the, the time in eternity with God is something we can look forward to in the present tense. Um, just me sharing with you things on my heart I'm burdened about. Last Sunday, I mentioned we had great spirit and attendance in our church, and I'm grateful for that, grateful for those serving at our fair booth, the Schlegel families there this morning. And uh, it's a little damp out today. But I'll be honest with you, I was a little disappointed with, with how well our sign-up was for that. Um, this room is full of people who know Jesus, right? People who should have a burden for Wayne County and its people. And I, I think, if we're honest, sometimes we're not advancing the kingdom as practically as we'd like to think we are. Um, some of you used to help in that. Some of you are newer that could have. And maybe, again, you're just getting comfortable with the church. Um, but just a thought today, if we opt out of personal evangelism, so this would be at large as well, you in your personal space, but also you think this is God's church, he's led you to, then whatever initiatives we're a part of reaching out to our county, you ought to do your best to be a part of that, okay? That's just me loving on you today. And that has nothing to do with spiritual gifting. That has everything to do with obedience or disobedience. Are we really hastening unto the day of the Lord? The Lord who slowed things down is moving at his pace because he wants all men to hear of him and to be saved. Are we doing our part? Am, me, am I doing my part? We need to own that. We need to lean into that, hastening unto the day of the Lord. Uh, Katie posted this morning on Facebook, um, her son or her daughter, Brenna, uh, no, this was uh, Kenzie, had a little smiley stamp. You know, they give you a stamp so you can get back in if you leave. Well, that's our theme, smile more. And so we were just joking about, isn't that interesting? The stamp for today is a smiley face. You know, my concern is also this, for some of you who are not being what you should be in that area, and some of that's on me as your leader, I understand that. It's also passing to the next generation. Like Kenzie's at the fair this morning, doing her part to share a smile with Wayne County. How's the next generation about reaching the lost, their peers, 
if it's in direct proportion to you and me. So we need to be hastening toward that day, advancing that gospel with the help of the Lord. Uh, Spurgeon said it this way, convicting statement, either a Christian is a missionary or an imposter. It's true, isn't it? Either we're missionaries or we're imposters. Either we believe God's coming back, Jesus is coming back, or we don't. And so may we do our part to be faithful to the Lord. All right, let's end in verse 11 and 14. I love these verses. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, all right, we know that, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Lastly, own where you can be purified by God's plan. So you know it's coming. You want to lean into it, as we just talked about in evangelism. You want to lean into it in other areas of influence. Number two, own where you can be purified by God's plan. A friend of mine was in a men's restroom a few months ago, and this was the picture on, this was on the mirror above the sinks. Um, for us guys that our hygiene can be lacking, wash your hands like you just cut, cut habaneros and have to take out your contacts. That's how thoroughly you should wash your hands. Isn't that good? Um, and, and he said everybody kind of, you know, just look, smirking at each other, wash their hands a little more thoroughly because of that sign. Do you know that there's coming a day where we will not regret where we have been purified and we will regret where we have not by the things that we knew were coming that should have sanctified us and caused us to be prepared, or maybe this morning we're tolerating impurities. One author said this, the greatest threat to our hope for a better world is not the natural environment, but the various evils that continually spring from the human heart. That is our greatest threat today. It's not out there. Before I point at you, it's in here. And it's also in there. That's our greatest threat. And so the promise of what is to come should be refining out of us pride. I know it all. I got it all figured out. I used to serve God. I used to be and do this. And to engage in it on a regular, consistent basis. All right, lastly, verse 14. He goes on, Wherefore, beloved, seeing you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace. Here it is again, without spot and blameless. Seeing what is coming, being motivated to purity. One of the things that I, I've noticed with environmentalism, and, and there are things that we need to consider that they bring to light, but the same people who will defend the rights of a, an endangered species, listen, and even their unborn young will also radically and passionately defend the right to have an abortion. And here's what I notice. We tend to overemphasize the minutia and we tend to underemphasize the big glaring issues of our day. Uh, and so it's not about all of the impurities in our water. It's not about all those things ultimately that should most concern us. It should be the impurities in you and me. And letting the Spirit of God expose those and remove those and prepare us to be a chaste bride for the Lord who is coming. Your desire to do something in our day needs the doctrine of God's word and the direction of God's spirit. Don't try to fix the world your way or how the world would say it needs to be fixed. Do your part through God's way, through his instruction. Take on your God-assigned responsibilities in a way that pleases him. All right, let's end today in Colossians. Would you go there for a moment? Colossians chapter 1. I appreciate you being open to God's Conviction and comfort today, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. And as you're turning there, came across a story a few years ago. I don't, I don't think I've shared this before. 
And I'll show you the picture. So these are called sailing stones. Um, and those of you who've been out west maybe have seen this place. Uh, this is located in Death Valley National Park in California. And it is on a plane called Race, Racetrack Playa, uh, which is famous for these sailing stones. These rocks and boulders, they look kind of small on the screen, but they can be up to several hundred pounds, seven, eight hundred pounds. Um, and they've been known mysteriously just to move across that plane for no reason. So like you can see in the soil, the tracks, there, there's no, you know, caveman, you know, living out there like rolling these stones across the plane. They just seem to move. And through 2014, they had never gotten any video footage of how it happened. And so they thought maybe some, you know, kind of like uh, crop circles or we could go into all kinds of things that does it really, you know, man generated or alien life or whatever. So there are all kinds of theories, but they finally had enough footage they, with technology where they recorded them moving by themselves incrementally over time. So they dug into it a bit further um, and it was discovered that that a single element was not responsible for the stone's ability to move across the desert floor. Rather, it was a culmination of several key factors. A flooded surface, a thin layer of clay, high winds, ice flows, and quickly warming temperatures caused, um, caused these, these stones to move. Um, and it was all of those factors together, each of the elements working in concert with the other to create the perfect environment for the miraculous to happen. And then the article ended by saying this, if just one of those environmental factors was missing, the stones would not sail. You may say to me today, Pastor, why are we talking about environmentalism in church? Why aren't we on some other feel-good or uplifting topic, whatever the case may be? Do you know that if we get environmentalism wrong, we get the gospel wrong? Because God is using all the elements of our current environment, even our broken fallenness as human beings. He's using all of that to move things in his direction. How is he doing that? Look here in Colossians 1. Because we, in our egotism and maybe even sincere desire to make a difference, we forget about one person. Verse 17. Uh, let's go back to verse 16. For by him, this is Jesus, were all things created there in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And then notice verse 17. And he is before all things. And then this phrase, so important, and by him all things consist. And the idea would be this, that Jesus is the predecessor. He's the creator of all things. He is also, listen, the one who holds it all together. He is the sustainer of all things. There's no technology development. There's no oil spill. There's no major crisis that could happen on our planet that can take control of this, this planet out of the hands of Jesus Christ. He's the one, the same hands that made it all is the same hands that hold it all together. The key is, are we surrendered to that? Are we trusting in that? Are we letting him use us uh, to be a part of that? This question, and we'll finish, will you heed the truths of the Bible as they relate to environmentalism in processing the data accurately and assigning the responsibility properly in a way that pleases the one who is the creator and sustainer of all things? I want to get this right because I know it affects my relationship with Jesus. And it also, listen to me, affects the relationship of others with that same Jesus. May God help you to do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.